0: Uh, you really mustn't, darling.
1: I- What's up, everybody? Welcome to Season 1, Episode 14 of Can I Comment? This is Michael, and usually I'm with Jake and James But this month, we are uh, taking a few weeks to dive into some conversations we've had uh, with some amazing guests over the last few weeks. So I hope you've liked the last two with Nathan Finocchio and then Gabe Finocchio. And today, uh, we're really excited to share with you a conversation that we had uh, with somebody who is uh, just really special to myself and Jake. His name is Simon McIntyre. Simon and his wife Val are on the global executive team with C3 Church Global, which is the church that Jake and I and James are a part of. Of an international church family, uh, and they oversee C3 Americas, which means they just give oversight to all the C3 churches in America. And... Um Man, Simon is uh, a great, he's a a pastor to pastors. Uh, He is a theologian, such a smart guy. And uh, so we had the opportunity to sit down with him uh, and just have a conversation around justice. How should Christians approach justice? What does the Bible say about justice? What does the Bible say about charity and how we take care of the needy and those in our world? So, hey, before we jump into this conversation, do just wanna ask you, if you're loving the conversation, if you're liking the podcast so far, do us a massive, a massive favor and subscribe on itunes spotify youtube uh rate the show give us an amazing kind review and then of course if you find this helpful share it with some friends it goes such a long way in um, spreading the word so hey listen we're going to jump into this conversation with simon and we will see you right back here next week
2: all right here we are uh michael and myself with simon mcintyre um who is uh spiritual oversight in my life actually um and a part of the uh C three movement of churches. Been around since the very beginning, and uh, just an all-around wonderful human being. Uh currently in the UK, but I believe he's gonna be making his way over to US of A, to God's country. <laughs> yes. Finally. <laughs> the raising of the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, it's really good to have you with us.
1: It is first ever guest on Can I Comment as well.
2: First ever guest. So oh. congratulations on being our first guest ever.
3: So I'm the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what you did is you chose a guinea pig who's old enough to not be around in 20 years to see the implications.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank That's you. Exactly. Thank You're you. welcome. <laughs> no, we're uh we're stoked to have you here. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation. So. Um, We did an episode uh, a few weeks back on uh, social justice um, versus biblical justice, which was a good conversation, Um, but I think it deserves some follow up um, and certainly to bring in the perspective of somebody much smarter than us. And you certainly fit that bill. Who Um, is that? Who is that? (laughs) (laughs) But we wanted to uh, continue that conversation and then um, see where that takes us. We think that will take us into a convo just in terms of. Um, the Christian response to, uh, the poor, um, and everything that that entails. So, uh, Simon, I'm going to throw it to you. Why don't you kind of cue us up and maybe give us some preliminary thoughts that are on your mind? And, uh, we'll see where it takes us. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Thanks, Jake. And thank you, Mike. It's my pleasure absolutely. to be with you, um, today or this evening in my case. Uh, really looking forward to getting to the USA. We're still tossing up where to live, um, but it looks like, somewhere on the East Coast. So that gives you breathing room, Jake, to get on with your own world
0: (laughs) without
3: without having somebody breathing down your neck. Um, (laughs) uh, Interestingly, about two weeks ago, um, somebody asked me, and I haven't yet responded properly, what's the difference between social justice and biblical justice? Is there a difference? Because I think to a lot of people, they would consider, aren't they one and the same? Mm -hmm. And typical of all this, Topics, there are, there are significant intersections where they are the same. Um, they're the same in where they're aimed. They're the same in the attitude toward them. And they're sometimes the same in outcomes. So this is not an either or. It's more of a, um, I think, as a perspective that we're forgetting whilst we're doing one thing. Um, to me, if I look at the broad topic of biblical justice and I look, Firstly, the easiest way to start is the Old Testament. And justice always tended to be about uh, the genuinely poor, which Jesus said we will always have with us. So they've, mm-hmm. they've been around. And I think when I hear governments say in our generation there'll be no, no poor person in our community, are talking through a hole in their heads. Um, it's, it's a foolish promise. It was made in Australia by a prom- prime minister many years ago. Comparatively, yes, they're not poor, but it all right. gets
2: to gets to be relative, it's doesn't it? A, a utopian ideal, yeah, to some degree.
3: That's yeah. right. It's it's um. There's I, I heard of a, a girl in the UK recently, and very admirable person, no doubt. I mean, I don't know her, so I can't comment. But sh- she was saying we are going to be part of the the kind of the, the vanguard that gets rid of all abuse online, so it'll not exist any longer. I thought, well, the only way to do that is to obliterate the world because it's just not possible. However, however, not, I don't want to be cynical. That does sound cynical, but in the Old Testament,
2: that that brings up a, go
3: ahead. I think the idea of justice was about the genuinely poor, about widows and orphans and people who'd been robbed through no fault of their own of their, of their, in those days, main breadwinner. So that the husband or the father was the main breadwinner. And if he died, Then often there's widows were left with very little. And so the prophets railed against Israel in many cases because they didn't care for their own. So Mm -hmm. biblical justice is more about the, the poor, the orphan, the, the the widow and, and those, that kind of subject. Biblical justice Mm -hmm. never even thought of and has still doesn't think of, um, preferential, um, treatment or, or what I, want, what I want everybody to believe that I am, and therefore I demand right. justice about my preferences. That just isn't yep. on the table mm-hmm. in the Scriptures.
2: Let's pause there really quick, because I think you're uh, touching on some really important themes. One of them, I think, is, um, again, the prophets railing against the uh, Israelites' mistreatment of their own people. yes, And so there's a sense of covenant there, and there's a covenant responsibility that they have to one another because collectively they're in covenant with God, and part of God's covenant with them is how they are to live in covenant with one another as a nation. And maybe we'll draw upon that theme later in the conversation when that comes into the New Testament and how we understand the church today. Um, would you say that that is a, an appropriate theme to touch on?
3: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they... They were meant to care for each other, right. um, and you know they, they they were like orphans in Egypt. and The Lord redeemed them, and they were still to be kind to people who were, in that sense, orphaned.
2: Yeah. So yes, yeah, we're I talking do. about we're talking about people here in the Old Testament who are truly, in the plainest sense of the word, oppressed. Um, in in the sense that they're not not just because of their circumstance, but because uh. Powerful people were even what mistreating them uh to add insult to injury to their circumstance, so to speak, yep,
3: yeah, yes, you've said it they were right they, they yeah. were um they were treating them poorly in the courts i mean there's, there's those examples in the New Testament where Jesus talks about the widow going to the judge that's not mm-hmm. uncommon from from where the prophets were speaking, mm-hmm. and so the, the the rich were were often often oppressing the poor, they were not giving them their proper wages. And then, you know, like the prophets would cry out that the that the that the ground is almost crying out for them to be paid their wages. James refers right. to it, Jesus refers to it, Paul refers to it. So yes, it's definitely embedded in the Old Testament um commitment right. to, to God's people.
2: Yeah, and the solution to that that was being called for was proper treatment. Yep. Um and I think one of the uh the disconnects between Jesus' world and his worldview and then predating um, the uh, New Testament into the Old Testament with the prophet's worldview um, wasn't about making everybody the same. No. It was about right and proper treatment. This is how I understand the justice of God is that God always does what is right. Mm. Yes. His justice is his righteousness. Yes. Um, but when you look at the biblical ideal for what God counts as right, it is not that he treats everybody the same. And I think one of the perfect examples for that is the parable of the talents where uh, you have the five and the, and the, uh, two, I believe, and the one, right? And the five and the two multiply. The guy with the one buries it in the ground. He returns it to the master in exactly the same condition that it was given to him. It's not less valuable. It's, it's not, uh, been, been tampered with in any way. It's just given back in the same way that it was given. And the master says, you're wicked and you're lazy. Um, and I'm going to take your one and I'm going to give it to the guy with the ten. And this is how Jesus sees the future kingdom. Um, and, uh, I don't know that we would necessarily connect that to salvation as much as we would maybe connect it to some kind of doctrine around reward in the new creation. Um, but that's a really interesting thing to me that Jesus uh, Jesus prophesized the new creation as being characterized not by sameness, no. but actually by some degree of difference in God responding to the way that we stewarded our lives.
3: That's right, because the judgment is about faithfulness, not about mm. what you did, but what you not about what you accrued, but what you did with mm-hmm. what you had. And he says mm-hmm. it quite clearly according to their ability. So right. clearly there's a differential in ability. And the yep. great, the great, um, the great untruth wow. in pure socialism is mm-hmm. that pure socialism wants everybody to be given the same. And mm-hmm. it sounds mm-hmm. such a fair deal. It sounds mm-hmm. so right, but it utterly cripples humanity mm-hmm. because those that have little, yet more than they are actually capable of dealing with. And those mm-hmm. that that um, could have done twice, three times as much are treated the same, and so they become the oppressed, strangely.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So there is there is a gifted difference in our humanity. We're not all the same. The thing, th- th- where we're the same is that we'll be judged for faithfulness to what we've got. Mm-hmm. And it's strange, isn't it, that the people with le- the least Are the ones most likely to least use that what they've got Mm -hmm. that staggers me
2: Mm. yeah i'm glad you bring up the subject of um of socialism because i think that you can't disconnect that from the modern understanding of social justice and the reason it can be such a difficult conversation is because uh you, you cannot separate justice from being social Right? Like all justice is how how people in society are treated. So all justice is social justice. Yes. But what I understand social justice to mean uh, today uh, cannot be separated from some kind of socialistic um, ideal in terms of making everybody have the same, Uh, which of course never amounts to everybody having a lot. It always amounts to people being equal in poverty, not equal in wealth. Mm and that is a fact, socialism has never worked anywhere, not in any time, not in any place has it produced what it promises to produce. It only ends in uh, destruction look a democratic... I would say it actually is a
0: Sorry.
2: go ahead so
3: I say a democratic socialism does work, but that's that's not that's very different to a marxist socialism
2: Exactly. So and you people could... point to the example of Sweden and those countries oh. there, but, but it is quite different
3: are democratic countries. Interestingly, too, they've got huge Christian bias in their basis. Um, and it's disappearing. Be interesting to see what happens to Sweden in 50 years. Will it be the same strong, um, Mm -hmm. sort of self, uh, like sustaining nation? I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if it will. Mm -hmm. What, What would
1: you guys say would be some, what's just some clear distinctions between this is what a democratic socialist, um, society would look like versus a Marxist? Socialist society, just to the to the most practical. Well,
3: example. you've said it. Just the word, the word "democratic" is it all. Mm-hmm. There's no. Yeah,
2: democracy. but I mean, even.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like drilling it down to even more simple.
2: Well, I think if I were to make it really simple, um, it it comes down to a a worldview. So, like a Marxist worldview is always going to peg people into categories, mm-hmm. and therefore those categories of people are pitted against one another. Um, so. Mar- Marxism from an economic standpoint is putting people into oppressed or oppressor categories based upon their socioeconomic status. Uh, is that right, Simon?
3: Yeah, I, I think that Marxism is, is premised entirely upon the big view of humanity as economic. Right. And and that that drives everything. Mm-hmm. But every yeah. every and other so- every other philosophy and religion will come up with what the big issue is.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Including and so- Christianity.
2: Sorry. And what would be missing from a democratic, socialistic, um, government. It, it would be that, that whole crux of Marxism is mm-hmm. not their Their society is not predicated upon that idea of people are categorized. They still are a free society. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you operate through the worldview of, uh, everybody is either an oppressor or an oppressed person that is going to deeply inform, uh, your policies—it's right. going to deeply inform how you run a run a nation. Right. Well, it yeah. makes you suspicious of everybody. Exactly, and that's and what we see even today in the notion of cultural Marxism, right? Yeah. Um, and people don't like using that term because it gets frowned upon. As far as I can tell, the the of critical theory and and cultural Marxism are are almost synonymous with mm-hmm. one another. Um, yeah. But it's the same idea on that—we're putting people in their groups based upon gender, based upon race, uh, based upon sexuality, um, and labeling people either uh, through the kind of the matrix of intersectionality as either oppressors or as oppressed. um, And that becomes ultimate reality Mm -hmm. um, and becomes the way in which we understand the world around us. And as Simon just said, it makes us suspicious. So like critical race theory, for example, um, doesn't ask the question in any given circumstance, did racism happen? It asked the question, "Where did racism happen?" Right, and how do we find right. it? How do we identify it? And that—that yeah. that is a a really hard way to live because you just become suspicious all the time if you happen to fit in what is called a um, an oppressed category. Um, you, you become quite paranoid if you buy into that worldview. Uh, not to mention, it's very crippling as well, because all of a sudden you have to live your life as an oppressed person, when that may well not be true. Especially coming back to the biblical ideal of what was true oppression, um, in in the Old Testament. Yes, yes, I, <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm rolling with you. Look, I, I think well,
3: one of the one of the big differences with the with like c- cultural Marxism, or one of the fundamentals would be that it actually it's Deeply, uh, against our, uh, it's deeply against our humanity mm. because our humanity demands this. We've got this creative drive in us and creativity can lead to oppression. Creativity can lead to, um, unpleasant outcomes, but the creativity, mm. the sense of being and developing and building and progressing is deeply embedded in us. And it's been, it's been turned into like a demon. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not, it's, it's part of the, the good God's intention for humanity that we do get outside of ourselves, that we do tame the new world, that we mm-hmm. do, that we do use our intelligence and our, our creative cre- creativity to fly to the moon or try to fly to Mars or what, whatever. Mm-hmm. When a, real Marxism tends to stop that, except what yeah. the government allows. And all yeah, interesting, Marxism. I've always found that Marxists, States always just change one oppressor for another. Mm-hmm. I mean, Russia under Stalin was hell. Under mm-hmm. Lenin was hell. Mm-hmm. um And all the countries that taken on Pol Pot, Mao that mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. they are first class murderers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They are world class yeah. murderers because they've changed one oppression for another.
2: No, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think it'd even be fair in some sense to call it the doctrine of demons. Um, it's an interesting book that I came across recently that I haven't started reading yet. I think it's called Karl Call Marx and the Devil. And apparently Marx had an <laughs> obsession with Satan. Um, I just listened to a podcast on it. I think it was Albert Moeller. Um, his podcast is really interesting episode, but I want to go back to what you were picking up on in regards to creativity and how we are wired for that to pro- almost to produce yes. to fulfill that original kind of dominion mandate in, in yes. Genesis. Yep. One of the things that strikes me is like the Bible teaches us that. The Earth belongs to the Lord, right? And why does the Earth belong to the Lord? Well, because He made it, He yes. created it. that's right it's his, right? Yep. and I think if we are made in God's image, part of our human impulse is to uh is to create and then have a right to say this is this is uh, a result of my creativity, it's a result of my work, and therefore I have rightful claim to it, obviously underneath the, the sovereignty of God. It's all his. Yes. Um, but I think one of the huge dangers of uh, a socialistic worldview is that um, you take away any kind of, an, any kind of uh, motivation to create because it doesn't belong to you. Everything is socialized. It all belongs to the state. Um, and that, that takes away from innovation. But I think it's also corrosive to the human soul.
3: Deeply, deeply corrosive. Yeah, it, it's, uh, what, what fascinates me is that in Genesis chapter 1, which, which mm-hmm. is the, a stunning insight into just about everything that covers our humanity. Unbelievable. Right. Uh, even, I think even Jordan Peterson goes towards those sort of thoughts. Whether he's a yeah. Christian or not, I, I don't suspect he is, but I, I have no judgment. But we pray it. for him. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. But, um, it's interesting in Genesis one, the image of God issue. I mean, we, people wrestle over what's the image of God and man. And they say, well, it's the intellect, it's the mind, the emotion, the will. It never says that, doesn't even go near it. There may be mm. intimations of that later on. The actual mm. image of God was, was the mandate to subdue. Right. That's the image of God in mankind is this impulse to go out there and to pull out the weeds, to make something beautiful that was wild, to, to create something that's never been done before, mm. to paint a picture that's glorious and beautiful or strange and wonderful. Or whatever the case may be, and I think that is the image of God and mankind clearly from a scriptural point of view, much more than the other suppositions that we've added to our textbooks.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And and when you rob mankind of that creative image, then you've mm-hmm. actually basically made us. It's like it's it's like when children don't get touched when they're young, that they don't know how to deal with life when they get older. Mm-hmm. They they either become withdrawn or violent because they've never had the calming influence. Of touch and kiss and love, and the smell of another good human around them, and when mm-hmm. when 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 when, when that's taken away from us by governments or systems to be replaced with the sort of level playing field, it does deep damage to the human psyche, mm-hmm. and and it makes us infinitely less than we were meant to
2: be. Yeah, that's a really really great way of summarizing it. Um, let's come back to kind of a, I guess the. The core part of the conversation. So, um, the the notion of social justice versus biblical justice. Um, so, we do agree that there's a biblical command to uh, yes. be just and to Absolutely. do justice, and we yes. see that throughout the Old Testament. Um, we see that in the New Testament, although in the New Testament, to me, it seems to take on different language. Um, in a in a way, like one of the things that I pick up on is that uh, the the word justice appears very infrequently in the New Testament um but you still you still see constantly the teaching of what it means to be just um and i see that obviously all throughout the sermon on the mount i see it in you know i think well over a hundred one another type phrases in the new testament about how we're to treat each other in the community of christ so yes. do you want to pick up on that thought and t- know, share what
3: no it's, it's a it's think. a really interesting thought because um the new testament the preponderance of the new testament's direction. With justice is towards God's people. So when you see the Apostle Paul taking up those offerings that are mentioned in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians and uh and Philippians, I think, and other places, those offerings were specifically for the poor in Jerusalem. And you know, I've often thought about this that when so when the Jerus- this is
2: pause really quick, just for anybody who's listening that might not be picking up what you're talking about. So you're specifically saying Paul, as a, as a pastor, as the apostle, is yep. asking these churches in these different cities to, to give a financial offering, um, and because he was using that for what? He,
3: he would take that back to the church in Jerusalem who were poor. So the church mm-hmm. in Jerusalem weren't, weren't prospering. Their Christianity and the circumstances of their city and nation, they were often very poor people. And so paul, the justice in that situation is that Paul realized that the gospel came from Jerusalem, so in a sense he's giving back to where he came from. but the money he took and all the offerings that we preach and use all those scriptures and are all quite validly used uh out of context. I've got no issue with that uh Paul used to take stuff out of context for the sake of his his point, but mm-hmm. not a lot, but he did it, but that money was put going the Old
2: to, Testament and kind yeah. of applied.
3: Yep. Yeah, he said, was this written for to care for the animals? Well, the mm-hmm. answer is yes, it was, but it was large. He implied it to people mm-hmm. about don't.
2: A different meaning.
3: Yeah, of course. So in that case, the money went all to Jerusalem's poor. Now, when the Jerusalem council, no, no, when the council, of, was, it, was it Jerusalem or I think it was Jerusalem council, it's almost as they were going out the door. The apostle mm-hmm. said to Paul and Barnabas, oh, by the way, don't forget mm-hmm. the poor. Right. And, and. And Paul said, of course not, that very thing we are happy never to forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've just gone offline there.
0: Can you still hear vision. us?
3: I got, no, got you, you're back. So yeah. so, so when, when he was talking about the poor, he wasn't talking about the people that were scuffing around the streets in Rome largely. He was talking mm-hmm. about the poor as the Christians. Mm-hmm. So their giving was an, an, especially Galatians, I think, five or six especially to the household of faith. Yeah, Galatians 6.10. So the church today needs to realize that its main mandate is the care for other Christians.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: then it's the care for for those that you have opportunity to be gracious mm-hmm. to. Of course. I, yeah. I, I'm not trying to overturn great organizations, but I am suggesting that we've shifted the emphasis away from where the New Testament had it. Um, I don't know. This is a bit controversial I don't know whether everybody yeah. would agree with me, mm-hmm. but, um, when I hear people say, and these are really reputable people who I have high respect for, when they say that the, that God has an option, a preference for the poor, I just don't read it in the New Testament like that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Mm. So when yeah, Paul that's a, said,
3: that's, don't, don't forget the poor, it was like, mm. Oh, by the way, you could forget this.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But, but if the poor was the main message, mm-hmm. I always said it's fascinating. When Jesus saw the people who was sheep without a shepherd, he didn't start a ministry to help feed them. He said he sat them down and he taught them. Right. And another thing that's yeah. always fascinated me is the fact that Jesus and John the Baptist told poor people to repent. I mean, we, we wouldn't do that for fear of somebody tagging us. Or yes, make, it's or, interesting.
2: Or, um, you know, I can't, there's a point. I can't remember the scripture reference, the scripture reference, um but, when John the Baptist sends uh, his disciples to ask Jesus if he is the one they're looking for, if they should keep looking, uh, Jesus sends the messengers back to John the Baptist. And and, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially says, tell him uh, that the blind see, the deaf hear, the crippled walk, um, and a couple other examples. And then he ends it with, and the poor, and you would think the next phrase out of his mouth would be have money given to them. If the blind are seeing, like blind people need to see, deaf people need to hear, or crippled people need to walk, you would think he would say, "And the poor have money given to them." But what he says is, "And the poor have the gospel preached to them." Is that kind of picking up on what you're talking about? Look, it is, and I, you know I have high respect for people that minister to the poor. This is not my
3: point, but I think that Absolutely. when we, I think we just drift away. We've got to be careful, Jake and Mike, that we don't end up replicating the world's justice.
0: Right. Mm.
3: Biblical justice is to preach the good news. Mm -hmm. And let me throw out a terribly controversial thought. If I had a soup kitchen. That's why this
2: podcast exists.
3: (laughs) If I had a soup kitchen, which I don't, by the way, and so it's a little bit um, philosophical. Um, Mm. But if I did, and I fed people with soup, I would say, that they would sit down in a nice environment and be given nice food and they would have the Scriptures read to them or got the Gospels preached to them. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, we don't want that stuff. i say, well, you're not having the food either.
2: Mm-hmm. No, no, that's a bit
3: controversial. But I suspect some of the very early Gospel preachers that put on social events like that, that they preached the Gospel and they fed them. But today mm-hmm. we say only feed them and let our kindness be the Gospel. That's not what Jesus was saying. Right. it includes it, but it's not what he was saying mm-hmm.
2: but anyway, and that then comes I, I, down to a question of what is the gospel, right? and the way I understand it is the gospel is something that has happened. it is the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and it, that yep. requires an announcement that requires yep. uh, something to be shared verbally
3: yep and Paul's yep. Paul preached the gospel he he lived out the gospel, yes, but only to those. Who is in fellowship with us, the church, but he preached the gospel otherwise. He didn't just, he didn't just do hand signals that suggested the gospel. He actually preached Mm -hmm. the gospel. And it's that that saves us. Kindness is wonderful, but mm -hmm. it doesn't always save. Yeah. It helps, but it doesn't save.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it, it demonstrates the love of God. Totally. um, Absolutely. And it should be done.
3: I mean, in in your own city, you've got Matthew Barnett with the, what is it? The um the Dream Center. The Dream
1: Center. Center. Yeah. That's
3: and great work. he's done mm-hmm. an enormous amount of good, but I guarantee he preaches the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, do- yep. I doubt that he's slow.
1: But that goes against, I mean, we often see people quote, like I was, as you guys were talking, I thought of this, this quote from, I think, St. Francis of Assisi, right? That we always hear people, people say, preach the gospel at all times, right. use words when necessary. Yeah. And I think, especially here in America. It's that quote. Mm-hmm. It's those kinds of thinking that mm-hmm. always seem to supersede what you're saying. Like it's obviously, it's it's basically made us go, oh well, take care of people, and then uh, if you preach the gospel to them, um, mm-hmm. you know that's kind of like a nice little aside. That's but don't nice offend add-on. them. Right. Just take care of what their immediate need is. And it sounds like what you guys are saying is that ultimately, uh, it may take care of a need, but not the, not the need.
2: Right. And I think yeah, again, you have to consider the world that Saint Francis lived. Looked it up. He uh, died in uh, 1226. Mm. Um, so we're living in a postmodern, post-Christian world. Um, in in Saint Francis of Assisi's time, it was just taken for granted that re- a religion is true, and by immediate extension, Christianity is true. Um, and so he just you just can't really compare the world he lived in to the world we live in. No. Um, and certainly the world we live in is much more similar to the world that the apostles lived in, mm. which is that it was hostile to the gospel mm. um, and, and ignorant of the gospel. And therefore the gospel needed to be preached as it does today.
3: I, I think at that point, Francis of Assisi does not reflect the apostle Paul. Mm. Right. At that point, I, I'm sure in other areas he does. And it's very romantic. It sounds very, it sounds very gracious and very warm and very inclusive. But but I, I um I wouldn't I wouldn't use that as a quote at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mind you, yeah. nobody cares what I would use,
3: so it doesn't matter that <laughs>
2: <laughs> We care. <laughs> so let's come back, because there is this obvious New Testament um uh command to be generous. Um and we can't skirt that.
3: No. So let's talk about no. that a little
2: bit. Well
3: I think generosity, uh by the way. If you have an opportunity to do good to somebody who is outside of Christ, absolutely, right? That's not my. That's never the point. But I think the generosity right. originally was. In, here's the deal: the church is the called aside, different than the world community of mm. God's spirit. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is we're making the church bland and we're making it like the world around it. There's meant to be stunning, um, provocative differences between God's church and the world. And when we get onto the social justice world, it evaporates. And there are differences. How,
2: how do you see that? Um, why, why does it evaporate?
3: Um, it evaporates because we end up parroting the world's concepts of justice.
0: Mm.
3: It evaporates because we, um, we've we tried to be so inoffensive that we, nobody knows where the fence is anymore, mm-hmm. which... And, no which, boundaries. Yeah, and, and if i read the new testament if, if i look at paul's goal for the church it was transformation by the spirit it had an eschatological view in mind that we'll be blameless and holy on the day of christ's return so holiness has become like almost forgotten we have right. become so on par with the world you can't tell the difference and yet right. we're meant to be different and that that would cause, and it is starting to cause, by the way, that would cause a reaction of the world against the church, which meant the church had to become its own social institution. And that's what right. the, the church Paul was involved in, became its own social institution. I, I would rather see a chunk of money go to Christians in Syria, right. or here's one, or Christians in Palestine,
0: right.
3: or Christians yep. in the Middle East who are under severe persecution, um, rather than having a something else i'd rather in fact we as a church gave a significant amount of money for the size of our church about 5 years ago towards poor christians in syria who are having a terrible time and i think like i think that's where the new testament drift goes before it goes
2: elsewhere yeah we would agree that's certainly a, an ongoing part of our own missions work is in terms of our giving is towards churches in the middle east and um uh, I'm tempted to pick up on your Christians in Palestine comment. you could get into a, a whole great conversation around what well, uh, dispensationalism. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, there are Christians in Palestine. Exactly. Yeah, and there are and, Christian uh, Arabs, Christian Arabs in East Jerusalem too.
2: Yeah, I think we're going to record an episode on that next week, um, which I think would be really me, good to help people. Keep me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll say all the controversial things that all my <laughs> conservative American friends will hate. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah yeah no, no comments <laughs> no comment no comment on can i comment <laughs> um yeah that's that's all really, really good. You had mentioned when we were texting about having this conversation uh, a passage in matthew um twenty five that I think is often pointed to um and again, I just want to reiterate that none of us believe that we are that Christians are not even supposed to be generous to. Uh, non believers, we absolutely are. Oh, no one's negating that. No, 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 that no, 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 not for a minute. That's not the topic of discussion. The topic of discussion is, um, is I guess, are we unjust if we do not make the mission of our lives the total equal outcome of every person on the earth? And I think that is not a biblical ideal. And that comes back to what you were saying around, um, that God gives preferential treatment for the poor. Um, and I think, in one sense, yes, we can say absolutely, like we are all poor in spirit, and God gave us preferential treatment by giving us Christ. Absolutely, totally, absolutely. Um, and God uh, certainly uh, is going to always be on the aside on the side of an oppressed person when yes. their oppression is actually true. Yes. Um, and I think that's a really important thing right now, is because we're we're not just dealing with. Uh, political policies here, we're dealing with a postmodern worldview in that truth of truth itself is now called into question, um, and cannot be considered objective. And therefore, what what critical theory teaches is that truth always has to be assumed to be on the on the side of the person who is down and out, um, or who is who's is not in a good way. And t- to me that when you bring those two things together, you get into a position where, um, you take the the statement that God is always on the side of the poor and you lose the fact that God is actually always on the side of the truth mm. and cool. God is impartial and teaches us to be impartial and God knows the truth about any and every circumstance. And I think a commitment to finding out the truth in any particular situation, uh, is, is part of the, the, the Christian ideal, um, and not just to um, get wrapped up in emotionalism. So anyway, I digress. (laughs) One of the passages of scripture that you um, had brought up was Matthew 25. Did you kind of want to, maybe as we wrap this conversation up, um, draw some points out of that?
3: Yeah, and just to tell you a little story on that too, just to go back quickly to your point where you digressed, the strangest thing about critical theory is that it's based upon its own undoing. Because if Mm -hmm. there is no truth, but they're Mm -hmm. saying there is a truth, and it's a truth that they believe that should be imposed on others. But if there's no truth, you know, the, the great French, um, deconstructionalists, they've made language mm-hmm. itself of no value. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like, anyway, anyway, it's, it's like a, a tremendous inconsistency.
0: Exactly. Um,
3: mm-hmm. Matthew 25, Matthew 25, I read it a number of years ago and I thought it's got nothing to do with what it's generally used for. So mm-hmm. let me tell you a little quick story. Um, currently I'm doing a master's in theology degree and at a university here in England. Mm -hmm. And one of our lecturers, uh, actually an American and, um, he, he stood up in class and, uh, his, his topic was justice in the old Testament. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. But he said for years and years, I've read this as a condemnation of every person that didn't go and help people in the jails, Mm -hmm. essentially. Now, this guy actually does work with people in jail in a remarkable way. And he said, I've always read it as a command that Jesus will judge us for not caring for um people in jail, people with no food. He said, until one day, he said, I realized, he said, it was a very hard for him, for, thing for him to say because he had preached for years. He says, it's got nothing to do with that. It's a judgment of the nations and how they treated the Christians. Wow. And that just... Completely, that's, that's the context of what Jesus was saying. It's not about right. my personal responsibility for someone in jail. That's another matter, of course. But that scripture is actually talking about the nations themselves being judged for the way they treated God's people and nations became sheep or goats by the way they right. treated God's church. And that's a, that's a terrifying thought.
2: That's, that's fascinating.
3: That's a national judgment <laughs> because of a nation. Yeah. That would mean that, for instance, and I'm not talking about modern Russia, that would mean that the Russia of the 60s and 70s who deeply persecuted the church mm-hmm. would, would would have been a nation possibly judged or possibly to be judged by God mm-hmm. at the end time. I don't know how it works out, by the way. I don't know how this all kind of, because nations yeah. can change. How does
2: God parse it out?
3: Got no idea. Yeah. And, and not being exactly. God, I don't need to know. But it's a fascinating right. thought. It's about nations. And how they treated God's people mm-hmm. uh, and so it's not it's always used it's always used to make us feel slightly guilty about what we're not doing for others
2: yeah and I guess what you're mm. seeing and what your uh, professor was seeing there was verse 31 in Matthew 25When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep." from the goats. And then Jesus goes on to explain that the division there is based upon how they treated um, those who were hungry, those who were thirsty, those who were in jail, those uh, who were strangers, uh, those who were naked, those who were sick, those who were in prison. And then Jesus says something I think even uh, really really important here to connect that to the nation's treatment of the Christians, um, where he says, assuredly, I say to you in verse 40, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, I'm reading from the New King James, my brothers, uh, you did it to me. So Jesus is, uh, again, he's making, just drawing upon that, that earlier theme of covenant. This is a covenant thing here that Jesus is talking about, how, how God's covenant people, i.e. the church, uh, are treated by the nations of the world. You're saying yeah, that's what's in view here.
3: Absolutely. And it's, it yeah. fascinates me. Um, but, and they didn't. They said, "Well, tell us how we treated you badly or well." We don't know. And he said, "Well, the, and the least of my brethren," which raises this fascinating thought. Jake and Mike, is that is that all the world are not the brothers and sisters of, of the family of God? I had this. Right. I think I think it's sentimental tripe that the world mm-hmm. is are all the children of, of the Lord. They're not.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Clearly, they're yeah. not.
2: Mm-hmm. The, the That's brethren. You bring that up.
3: The brethren of Christ are those who believe in Jesus. Mm
2: -hmm. and I've been uh, thinking about that a lot lately.
3: And people outside of that, redeemable, loved by God in his action in Christ, people got to remember that God just doesn't indiscriminate love with certain emotion. His love is is displayed in the cross. Mm -hmm. That's where God's love is. And that's where love is love. That's the only place it is.
2: Hmm. Right. Get over it. Would you say that (laughs) there's a delineation between every – every human made in the image of God, but that doesn't mean that every human is a child of God. No, I
3: think so. I think and that we don't,
2: we don't. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I think that's a and clear New become Testament. A, Sorry. Right. And we become a child of God by getting adopted into God's family through, through in, and in Christ. Otherwise. Even Jesus himself said the Pharisees were sons of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul in Romans says that unbelievers are children of wrath.
3: It's just so inconvenient. It's and, so and I think we've got to stop being sentimental to the world because then we won't love right. them properly. Right. Mm-hmm. If we stop yeah. being sentimental, we'll actually love. Yeah. But I if we stop. love that's, somebody
2: as to well, they're good.
3: Well, and, as you said before, and to the poor, they have the good news preached to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And the good news actually included repentance. How unkind of Jesus to tell poor people to repent in a mm, nation right. oppressed by the iron fist of Rome.
0: Mm. Wow. And yet
3: he almost cared the less about Rome's iron fist. Right. It had almost, it had little to do with him except that it killed him, of course.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a serious part of God's plan. Yeah.
3: <laughs> that's right.
0: Yeah.
2: Man, this has been really good. Yeah. Any final thoughts? No, that's so, okay. so helpful. So yeah. helpful.
1: Yeah. 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 Really good.
2: Thank you so much for having this conversation. I'm sure we'll have you back on.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> well,
3: that's if I, I, I might have to hide from a few. A few things being thrown at
2: me. (laughs) (laughs) You're safe on the other side of the pond for now. That's right.
0: That's (laughs) right.
2: We'll take all the blows for you. All right. My, My
0: pleasure. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.